unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time, it's a big film. Uh, It's a film that George and I have watched to death, both young and old. It's coming to America with Eddie Murphy. George, are you looking forward to this one? Very much so. And I realise it's a big one for a lot of people. So a, a very, an initial disclaimer, we hope we do it ju- justice for you. We're probably not going to, and as you're probably fine with George and I, we could pick apart some films for a long time, discuss a lot, but when it comes to comedies, um, we normally we're quite brief, because otherwise we'd just be here to the end of time quoting our favourite lines, which is... You may as well watch the film, it's, you know. You'd get more enjoyment, certainly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, for everybody who's listened to the show, you know what to expect. For those of you who this is the first episode or... You're not sure what the hell you're listening to. Here's George with a quick disclaimer. So uh, we are Retro Ramble. Charlie and I are brothers. The point of this podcast is we we look back at the films that we grew up with, the films we loved back then, and we check and see, you know, do they still hold up? How these films were created, how they were, you know, how they came together. But I think it's worth saying this is a light-hearted look uh, at these films. So uh, it's not an in-depth critical appraisal. This isn't that kind of podcast. So it's more like reacquainting ourselves with an old friend. Um, there'll be, there may be swearing, there'll definitely be bad impressions, and as we're going into detail on these films, there will be spoilers from the very off. But if you haven't seen Coming to America, what are you doing? Stop Especially, this podcast, go back and put it, put it on. It's, it's a great and then, film. And then come back and listen again. And then yeah, come back. I mean, so yeah, and just one final word on audio quality. Uh, we are still remote. We are still COVID protected. So uh, yeah, there will be lag. There will be audio issues, and we'll try and clean those up as best as we can. I also have ice in my drink. I'm drinking a strong drink, and so there may be that lovely tinkle of ice cubes into a glass. Yeah, um, I think we should probably have some other disclaimers. So yeah, if you are of the legal age and it is of a suitable hour, get your drink on. But you know, I think it's it's worth saying uh, this is what should be scheduled as our Christmas episode. So this is... Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, so that's a different film, Charlie. But yeah, essentially this was due to be our Christmas episode and it was also some canny scheduling on my behalf because I had originally read the sequel to A Coming to America, Coming Number 2, to America um, was due to be released uh, at this Christmas but due to COVID due to whatever reasons the film schedules everyone knows everyone's all these films are moving and coming to America though it has been made by Paramount uh, like the first the sequel it was going to Netflix but I now believe it's going to Amazon and it's going to be released in March uh, so, it's a prime original. <laughs> yeah, it's a prime original. So, and I had uh, this thing in my head that coming to America is a bit of a Christmas film because there's lots of snow, there's a drinks party, but um, we'll. It's, 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 um, well, let's get on with the show. Yeah. Should we cut to the trailer? Yeah, yeah, cut to the trailer. It's fine. Okay, yeah, shut up. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, uh, here's the show. Enjoy.
I might use the bathroom by myself. Most amusing, sir. Wipers! And engaged by royal decree. Why? Why can't I find my own wife? We've gone to a great deal of trouble to select for you a very fine wife. I want a woman that's going to arouse my intellect as well as my loins. Where will you find such a woman? In America. So he traveled across the sea to the land of opportunity. Which is where the fairy tale ends and our story begins. Behold, Simi, life, real life, and seeing that we have been denied for far too long. We're in New York now. Let us dress as New Yorkers. I feel like a complete idiot. Have either of you ever had any fast food work experience before? Certainly not. This will be our first job in the United States. I am Akeem. Nice to meet you, Akeem. I have recently been placed in charge of garbage. That's good to know. Oh, my goodness! It is you! Greetings, your highness! Who was that? Eddie Murphy. Just the man I met in the restroom. Arsidio Hall. Ah! In a comedy fable of royal romance. When I look at these contestants for the Miss Black Awareness pageant, I feel good. Apparently, these are the best women queens has to offer. Pick one and let's go home. I want to tear you apart. And your friend, too. Coming to America. Sir, I was wondering, did you happen to catch the professional football contest on television last night? No, I didn't. Oh, it was most exhilarating. The Giants of New York took on the Packers of Green Bay. And in the end, the Giants triumphed by kicking an oblong ball made of pigskin to a big ace. It was a most ripping victory. Son, if you want to keep working here, stay off the drugs. They got the guy from Daft Punk. What's he called? It's not Rogers. Now Rogers on Saturday. Now Rogers with his funky, funky bass. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm just putting my phone on flight mode. I'm switched to flip mode. Flip mode is the squad. Flip mode is the squad. Uh, Buster okay. Rhymes, he did a, uh, one of his music videos was a, a, a homage to coming to America. I think it was Put Your Hands Where My Eyes Can See. I think. <sighs> what a tune. What a tune. I th- I'm pretty sure that's, it's, uh, yeah, that's featuring him. Uh, the whole Zamunda stuff is, yeah. is parodied in, in uh, Put Your Hands Where My Eyes Can See. Well, it's definitely going to come up. So, George, sorry, so. I got off. We're on a tangent there. Tangent Express. So, George, coming to America, I've forgotten how many times I've seen this film. How, 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 I mean, you, should we start with first memories and then get on to production chat, maybe? Yeah, yeah, but by all means. So, I don't know. I think this came up when we did Predator, one of our earliest episodes. I think I've seen this film so many times, I can't pinpoint a first memory. It's just a blur. It's just a blur, but to throw in this, um, I do have fond memories of James Glendinning and I screaming sexual chocolate, sexual chocolate, uh, at each other. So it's obviously, it's a big film for, for the Glendinnings as well. So um, if you did have drink. that on your Retro Ramble <laughs> bingo card, you may drink. So yes, I, I have 
I, but I don't really remember watching it with the Glenn Dunnings, but whether it was just a, a mutual appreciation of it. I think it was more that we would discover a film that we liked, and even though there were neighbours slightly further away, we'd look at the hill and we'd see James standing outside giving it a thumbs up going, yep, it's a funny film. So yeah, that's that's. Uh, I don't remember whether this was a McGee family classic. I know obviously Trading Places is a is a big McGee family film, and you know at one point we will get uh, McGee Senior, Mister El Raymondo, on on the show um, because Trading Places is a, probably his favourite film. It's it's right up there. Whereas this, uh, yeah, I I think it was. I I don't remember Dad being as a big fan of it. There, like as much as as we. No, were. this was more. I think this is kind of more. I mean, I heard it being described as you know, like you look. It's like Eddie Murphy's first romantic role. Um, but no, all I felt going back and watching this was I was like, oh my god, we have watched this so much. But over the years, you know, we've we've talked about a few films recently, like when we did uh, Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja, or Hero. I think it was Ninja Turtles. Um, that we hadn't gone back to that film really since we were younger, and it was a bit like Karate Kid as well. We hadn't gone back to that. We've seen this so much together. I mean, we've referred to it. It's been. It's always been there. Yeah, no, I think it is. Um, yeah, to to go on your point, it's probably the most memeable of of Eddie Murphy's stuff. It's probably his most quotable. I mean, obviously, it's He's playing four characters. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, I would say arguably it is. It's you know, obviously, when you think of Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy at the height of his fame, it's between this and obviously Beverly Hills, uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Sorry. Again, I think that probably ties into the fact that we got a lot of fun watching it out of it because we were probably watching it when we were too, uh, when we As were too, usual. yeah, <laughs> when we were too young, and we what we loved it because there was all the the Eddie Murphy swearing and you know things like the the royal penis is clean, seeing oh a bit of boobs. Um, <laughs> it but was yeah, the eighties. It was eighties. Was all in. Occasional boob was okay if it was late at night. If it was after eight pm. But yeah, it's it's weird how how much like I've I've watched this film and how I don't know how how it connects people without sounding really cheesy. But you know, it is I say it's that instant quotability that as soon as you say something about coming to America, most of the time people will scream at you. You know, sexual chocolate, <laughs> um, or you know, yeah, the, the, the royal penis is clean. You know, this it's so quotable. I would argue more more quotable than than Beverly Hills. I mean, Beverly Hills Cop is is a lot of fun. It's and it saves it for the end. There's a few wisecracks in here and it's a true detective story. And, and then they have a th- big third act. That's what Beverly Hills yeah. always and, is. And I think that's it. This is where, in terms of, and we're sort of merging, we're, all, we're on the boat. Uh, Are we on, on the boat on, to production chat land? We're on the boat to production <laughs> chat land. But I think that's it. Like, obviously, Eddie Murphy's career, let's, let's, let's do a bit of a recap. You know, he started on Saturday Night Live his first movie break was 48 Hours, which I watched recently. And that was his breakout role. And he is, he is phenomenal in it. The, the film itself is one walking cliche of uh, cop, buddy cop thriller. Before buddy cop... I'm Nick Dolce. I'm going to struggle you to death. I'm just a drunk maverick cop. <laughs> to be fair, it was doing it before... This is years before Lethal Weapon and everything. But that's, that's for a later podcast. So yeah, Eddie Murphy broke out in 48 Hours. I think that sort of home run was Trading Places, you know, opposite Dan Aykroyd. Then stardom was Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop 2, uh, The Golden Child, which 
I've never seen. Have you seen Charlie? Never seen it, and you know what? I but you know what? Because it probably wasn't. Was, and the reviews are say it's pants. It's, so. it's pants. It's dated terribly, and you know what? I think it wasn't in the Glenn Dinning's video collection. That's why. <laughs> so James is up the road at the top of a hill, giving it a thumbs down. The, the Commodus thumbs down. The, the Commodus thumbs down. Do not do. Do you shall not watch. Um. So then, this this is the next film after after that run. So he was pretty much on a a hot streak. So because of that, it was sort of like, you can do anything, kid. And I think he was in a, uh, back in the sort of, well, it still kind of was a studio system. He was aligned to Paramount Studios. And they sort of said, you know, what, what, what do you want to do? And so he came up with, with this concept. So he wrote up a, a treatment, a story. And he was contemplating on directing it himself. Um, and he would actually go on to, uh, I think the year later, uh, he would direct uh, his only, the only film he's done, Harlem Nights with uh, Richard Pryor, which is like a, you know, 1930s, you know, g- gangster type thing. I've seen, heard it's a two or three out of five. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen it. It's, it's, it should be a lot better considering the, um, the, the, the people involved. So he went out of his way to hire John Landis. So him and John, because uh, him and John Landis had worked together on Trading Places. He'd said out of all the directors that he'd worked with, so he'd worked with obviously he'd worked with Tony Scott by that point, Martin Brest, um, Walter Hill for Forty Eight Hours. He said he had the most fun on Trading Places. Um, but at that point, John Landis uh, was in uh, a bit of a bit of a, a shit time during his career. He was going through. So, he t- well, according to Eddie Murphy, so Eddie Murphy um, had this very revealing interview in Playboy magazine, uh, and I've just read the interview. I just read it for the articles. Um, <laughs> this was in 1990, and he basically laid into John Landis uh, and said. John Landis was was washed up at that point, uh, like he'd had a string of flops. And I looked at John Landis's uh, career, and it had in that time between Trading Places and Current America, there was Spies Like Us, which you know probably, I enjoyed, but it's a B movie. Uh, there was Three Amigos, which again is a lot of a classic to a lot of people. Then I think there was Into the Night, or he had some sort of film I'd, I'd never heard of, but. The, the film that landed him in trouble was he did uh, the Twilight Zone film. And on that film, there was a helicopter crash that killed three of the main actors. And two, wow. of, them, two of them were kids. And they were work, it w- turned out they were working outside of like California labor laws. It was a crash at night. So him and I think a few other people of, on the production team went through this court case. And um, they were eventually acquitted of involuntary manslaughter. But because of that, the studios didn't want to touch him. Yeah. And Eddie Murphy fought his corner and was like, no, I want Landis. And they were like, you can have anyone you want, but we don't want Landis because of the whole Twilight Zone thing. And he was like, no, he's a great director. I've had form working with him. I want Landis. And it turns out they didn't get on so well in this film. Um, oh right! So he 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 demanded that he was there, and then it, and then, was, and then it went. I've made, a, I've, I've made a terrible mistake. I've made a huge <laughs> mistake. Um, to quote Eddie Murphy, this is from the Playboy interview. He said, "I wanted to help out Landis. I figured I would give this guy a shot because his career was fucked. He wound up fucking me." 
Um, <laughs> it's and, all about fucking with Eddie. Yeah, it's all about, <laughs> fuck you, Mr. Funny Man. Um, so yeah, apparently according to Teddy Murphy, um, Landis resented him because he hadn't gone to his Twilight Zone trial. And as a result, uh, Landis would bully him on set and would give him loads of shit. And there was, at one point, uh, Landis was humiliating Eddie Murphy in front of Eddie Murphy's writers. And he was saying, well, is, is Eddie not paying you enough? Why aren't you paying these guys, Eddie? So Eddie decided to playfully get John Landis in a headlock uh, until he almost passed out. And John Landis ran off. Um, <laughs> I, I, well, this again, this I'm quoting Eddie Murphy directly. So, you know, just, just the, I'm not making this up. I cut his wind off. He fell down. His face turned red. His eyes watered up like a bitch. And then he ran off <laughs> offset. <laughs> Then, not a lot of love there, George. Not no, and then apparently Landis came and had a go at him the next day, saying, "You know, you're you're an asshole. You're 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 in danger of ruining this film." But apparently Landis's side of the story, because you know, I've, there's obviously two sides. Uh, he said the guy on Trading Places was young and full of energy and curious and funny and fresh and great. The guy on Coming to America was the pig of the world. But he, uh, and then he goes on to say loads of other stuff. He says, in, but he was great. In fact, it's one of the greatest performances he's given. So John Landis... They hated each other, but they got the best out of each other. And they did obviously reconcile because they went on to create the classic that is known as Beverly Hills Cop Part 3. Oh together, my God. The which, worst, I, this is probably not just the worst of the Beverly Hills Cop films, but it's arguably one of the worst sequels of the, of the era. And it's one of the uh, the films that Eddie Murphy's most ashamed of. Um, is this the one with the roller coasters? It's the one that's set in a theme park. <laughs> and and I did. It's been years since I've watched it because it's it's, it's not really own. a film, is it? It no. doesn't. Like um, you don't care about anyone. You don't. Well, you don't know anyone. They don't bring anyone back like they would today. They don't recreate anyone. Nobody's had kids. There's no following on. It's just like. Well, yeah, apparently sort of like I did a bit of re- reading on it again to refresh my memory, but apparently... Instead of watching it, I do exactly the same, bro. <laughs> just just read up that month if you don't want to watch that film again. Well, yeah, apparently loads of like the returning cast couldn't make it because of scheduling. Apparently Eddie Murphy was at that point in his career that he wanted to be taken seriously as an actor. So he fought against... And he thought that Axel Foley had progressed as a character, so he wanted to play it more serious, whereas John Landis was, again, this yeah. John Landis saying, play the funny stuff. People want to see you being funny. He's like, no, no, I want to be taken seriously. So apparently they died. Where's di- the drama? Where's the drama? He, yeah, he dials down the the comedy and that. But um, yeah, so they obviously did make up. You know, obviously that was uh, six I years later. I mean, they were later. able to work together again. That says, that says a lot. lot. Yeah. You start off by talking about, um, so where was Eddie Murphy in his career? I don't know what else other, what, uh, what else we need to cover on Production Island, uh, Production Chat. That's pretty much it, really. Well, in, about his career in general, because I think it's fair to say, as you will see on any episode Eddie Murphy's come up before, he'll always keep coming up. We've talked about, I think we've referenced Bowfinger in a few episodes because it's, for us, uh, we can talk about that a bit. But let's talk about his career in general, because this is a guy, I think the point I'm trying to make is, we followed his career, whatever he's done, 
yes, there's been some films that we've said, no, when we've seen the film title, but we've followed him, whatever he's been doing. And there was a hiatus. And I think we talked, we've covered this before in another podcast. I don't remember which one, when we talked about, it might have been when we were talking about uh, Dolomite. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's still got it. And yeah, we just just miss him. It's it's like there there are all these great actors. Uh, Gene Hackman, you don't see him anymore. Um, Gene you know, Hackman's retired. Yeah, no, retired, but there was a time. It. It's like you you just don't see these certain certain actors anymore, and he's one of them, you know. So, but yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I think this is um, him at the probably at the peak of his career. I don't think he's really like gone any higher. So I'm trying to think. After this, he's done. Um, there was like Boomerang, Distinguished Gentleman. Beverly Hills got four, um, and then it's a fourth one. Uh, sorry, Beverly Hills got. Uh, sorry, Beverly Hills got three. Then it started. Jesus Christ! It was like using Crystal Skull. <laughs> but then, obviously, it just started dipping. We have like um, I don't know. I, I suppose the. Um, so the right to do little there was nutty professor yeah, he was making a, money he was making money that's yeah i know that's it and he's, he's always and we been, went to see we i remember you and i went to see nutty professor together yeah and well it's, it's worth uh mentioning the the writers on this uh barry blaustein and david sheffield they would go on to write a lot of his films so they would they they wrote this they wrote um boomerang they wrote nutty professor uh, the clumps, and uh, I'm trying to think. What so they were basically they? just generating they, movie ideas for him. They they became his go-to writers essentially. Yeah, but it's almost imagine if you're a guy like him, and then you've got this good writing team. And you just they just keep sending me stuff, and he's just picking them. You know. Yeah. I just I think the the I mean my my question was you know like he's 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 had a bit of a bumpy time in his career. He's had a moment where. He's got a big personality. We know what it is, and we love it, and we want to see the good side of it, you know, sort of thing. And I think Bowfinger, we will do that when the time is right. But um, that is just because he'd, he'd taken a bit of a break, and he came back, and it was the same Steve Martin. We hadn't seen him for ages. And it was almost like Steve, some, of, some of their best work together. And, yeah, do you, do you get the feeling that with uh, Dolomite, and on the basis if coming to coming number two, Sounds weird. Why, I, I mean, it's convenient. It's like dumb, dumb and dumber. But it's like, yeah, okay, coming yeah. to America. If it's if that's good as well, could it possibly be, uh, you know, reconnaissance type thing? Uh, I I mean, I don't know because yeah, like I, I think he's got the chops. Is I my mean, point. I mean, he's tried. He's tried a few times. So um, obviously, he, he was tried to be taken seriously. And I think he got an Oscar nomination for Dreamgirls. But apparently, the 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 reason that he didn't win it is because in the same year he did Norbit and that was apparently such oh God, an, one an of offensive worst. terrible film I, I again I've seen, seen bits of that on Sky I was forced to you know you keep picking it up okay is this good is Eddie Murphy you know like sometimes you give you trust you give them the trust 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 and if you watch something like Norbit or there was the clumps the spin off from um, not a professor because I think we, to be fair, we enjoyed it. Very predictable rom com with a different side to it, kind of like Shallow Hal. You know, it's like one of those films that it was a early noughties film and it worked. You know, but um, not all of this stuff has been good. No, I think that's it. the The important thing is is that his career is really sort of wavered since the mid nineties. That. He's, he's had a bunch of flops. He's had, you know, stuff like um, Nutty Professor, as you say, was was a big hit. You know, we enjoyed that. We enjoyed I know, that. I, know, I, I haven't watched it in years, but it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun at the time. Jada, Jada Pinker Smith looked like a nice young lady. 
Um, and but I think ever since then, it's it's kind of wavered. I say he's he's had quite a few stinkers, and then he's tried to be taken seriously. I say the Dream Girls. That I, again, I haven't seen Dream Girls, but everyone says he's everyone raves about it. He's phenomenal in it. Um, he's had this back in the spotlight with uh, Dolomite, which you and I loved. Um, you know, it's a return to form. Eddie swearing again in high yeah. definition. Love that. In 4K. Uh, Bring it um, And that was, you know, the reason that we're doing this episode was because coming to America is reuniting him with that um, the same director, Craig Brewer. It's reuniting all the same cast. I was looking through on IMDb. So you've got obviously Arsino Hall, you've got John Amos, you've got the, you know, the girl plays Lisa. You've even got the guy... I'm washing the salad now. <laughs> I'm doing the fries, but in one to two years, I'll be assistant manager. Even he's coming back. So it looks like a proper reunion. They're even getting Wesley Snipes is on board as well. So yeah, it's really- got to be connected to them having fun on, um, on, on Dolomite. So yeah, it's, it's a real shit. I'm, I'm really annoyed that we, you know, obviously to people, I think a lot of people will be, what rewatching this with the new one coming out so you know maybe maybe just if you want to you can hold hold off listening to this until the new one comes out in march but you know we decided we're going to do it because we love this film shall we talk about the film i mean i don't know how much we've edited out but we've been here for four hours and we haven't started talking about the film. That, that's well i mean i don't know when's the best time to talk about reception of the film when it first came well, out well because well i mean we we talked about first memories briefly at the start of the show george has filled us in on a lot of the trivia some very interesting stuff going on behind the scenes but we obviously didn't see this in cinema. I, we definitely didn't run it on video. This is this is something we watched on TV. This was a TV movie for us. So, George, enlighten me. What? How did it do in the box office? So it was critically panned on release. I mean, this is according to some of the the big American press outlets. So the LA Times called it a plentiful waste of time and money. Uh, the, Ho- the Hollywood Reporter said it is likely to leave the legions of line waiters in numbed disbelieving disappointment and even paramount uh, didn't have faith in it (laughs) was this their own film it's shit don't go and see it yeah no they didn't they didn't screen (laughs) it to critics um because they just didn't think it was that funny and they saw it as a black film so they didn't think it was going to be very good however audiences loved it and it performed better than beetlejuice which we've covered Die Hard, which we've covered, and Big. So it became uh, the third biggest uh, box office hit of 1988, eventually grossing a worldwide gross of 300 million. And, and back in that time, that's some serious money. I think what, what I, you know, looking back on it now, we've watched this again and again over the years. But I, what I enjoyed in this is the fact that they, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an entirely black cast, apart from the guy who used to work trash and is now waiting for a But it's, that's refreshing. Also, the beginning of the film, I don't think I'm going to jump through the film. We'll talk about our favorite bits. It's probably quicker. Um, but there's a very, there's Wakanda vibes, you know, like Black Panther Wakanda vibes when you have the intro and you're like, well, which came first? Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot to like about, you know, this element of the film. 
I think it's it's a landmark film for 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 black film for black cinema. It's you know it's, it is the one of the most you know before Black Panther and as you say Black Panther is a very relevant touchstone because when Black Panther came out, it, rightly so, it was celebrated that it was a through and through black production in terms of all the creative people involved, all the cast, and the fact of being a big Marvel picture, you know, a two hundred million dollar picture, and it was a huge, you know billion dollar success isn't but it this, the only marvel film to get oscar nominated as well probably outside of effects yeah i think some of them might have got like effects nominations over the years but um i think black panther definitely got a few more sorry it was it was nominated for uh, best film yeah so that was that was the big thing for, for Black Panther. But, but no, it's, maybe that's just where it is now. But I mean, the point, the overall point I was trying to make is just one, it was refreshing to see an almost entire black cast. The other thing that I found very refreshing, I mean, this is why back in the day they would have called this a black film, was they just show how the class imbalances exist regardless of race. The yeah. Daryl, the the spoon in his mouth is is a You dickhead. mean the the Prince of Soglo? Oh my God, we could talk for hours about, into advert, I can't do it justice, just let's just play the ad. You know, you can be all the things you've always wanted to be. Beautiful, sexy, easy as one, two, three. Just let your soul go, just let it shine through, just let your soul I think you're, uh, you know, spot on there. The fact that it's, it's not just about one class. It's, it handles class in black culture very well. The fact is you've got, yeah, McDowell is a self-made man. You know, he's a product of the American dream. He's grafted his way to getting that restaurant. But Daryl's the complete opposite. He's, yeah, as you say, he's been gifted everything he's got. But there's a really nice community spirit. You've got the barbershop, you've got the, <laughs> you've got the, the, the Black Awareness Week. And yes, you could say, well, it's, you know, playing the sort of the card of the black man as a criminal because you've got all the neighborhoods that robs him of all his belongings. But they're happier, they're warmer. And Prince Akeem's like, yeah, you know, he goes, they, they, they will benefit from having my stuff more than I will. So it handles it very well. I just, I think overall, that's what I love about this film. It's like touched on, it's tongue in cheek almost in, in trading places, or they're, they're treading the water. But in this, I just get, I really get the feeling that it's, that it's, a, that it's an American black man saying, yeah, you think it's just about black and white. It's not. It's like, we have a class system, even if we don't have the problem of racism, we still actually have rich people. You know, we have people taking advantage of each other. Uh, we have serious problems and it shows a real community. And you can understand, I can understand why in, in 88, this was seen as a black movie. Uh, but now it's, I put it up there with Black Panther. It's like, it's so refreshing to see it. We need to have films like that that don't have, you know, X amount of, of invested actors mm. in every film just because it sells tickets. No, it's, it's funny. It was, um, I was reading an article on it in the, um, the Washington Post on it, and it was saying it, it was doing that 
comparison between Black Panther and and this, and it was saying that I only I only thought of this watching it now. Yeah, so, I mean, Black well, Panther it. definitely took something. Maybe it was just the the drums. Maybe we're being stereotypical about no, no, African culture. No, 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 but there uh, is uh, there's there is, massive similarities. No, there's oh. there, there's huge similarities in terms of this hit, well hidden, very rich, you know, flamboyant African society that connects uh, with the Western world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think there were, yeah, there were comparisons when when Black Panther came out of that sort of saying, you know, it's it's coming to America meets kind of Marvel type thing. But no, the the, the point the um, the article I read in the Washington Post is saying that most black celebrated black films and successful black films are all about oppression. They're usually about slavery or you know, uh, whereas this was a joyous celebration. And I think that's that's why this film is appealing. You know, it, it, it's it's cross generations it's cross cultures because yes it's it's a fairy tale at the end of the day you know oh no but i mean this is something that i always think a benchmark is like you know are we on the right path or anything but you look at what the, the critics said at the time versus what they said over the years and they say yeah i mean this is a fairy tale that we've all known you know a rich guy yeah. goes and pretends to be poor to find a girl that will fall in love with him for who he is God, how many times have we seen yeah. that? And the fact is they do a good job. And I think, um, you know, you said the critics panned it. One of the most, uh, because the name stuck out to me when I was doing a little bit of research is Ebert. Ebert was like, yeah, it's great. Give them a screenplay. Give Eddie Murphy and uh, Arsino Hall another film to do because they were, he was very impressed with the story. But he says it just seemed lazy. It was like he was basically missing the, what you said earlier, it was missing the Eddie Murphy energy. And what I was impressed with going back and watching this, it's been a few years, maybe two or three years since I've seen this, was the acting of both Eddie Murphy and uh, Austin Hall in terms of they maintain their African accents throughout and it's convincing. It doesn't seem forced. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the things, it's like, this is the only project. I can't, can you name me another project where Eddie Murphy's being anything other than kind of what he is in every film? Um, well, there's there's a vampire in Brooklyn, which is less said. I, I don't know if that's John Landis, but that's that's pretty bad. He's trying to be obviously some sort of Transylvania type, like, a, uh, like a 90s version of Blade. It's 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 yeah, it's it's terrible. It's kind of it's it's like okay, let's let's try and do what we did with this, but instead of an African prince, it's a vampire. I'm out, and that just doesn't really work. Eddie Murphy's charming whatever he does he has that that winning glint he has that you know million dollar or you know practically billion dollar smile that will win anyone over and he does it in this but there's it's with know, but he's a, a brutal intelligent talented comedian you know no, but in a, this it's an active mind it's it's a very naive oh, i want to be so, taken well, seriously it's, it, no but it's not a naive it's like it's the fact that akeem is is very well educated you know he you know he quotes Nietzsche and stuff like that but it's just that constant joy in life the fact that he's got that joy of living in squalor he's got that joy of like working in McDowell's mopping the floor I'm here to take <laughs> out your garbage and it's just that it's it's infectious and yes he has it's weird because he ha- obviously has he's he's it's a persona he is lying he's lying through his teeth but it, there is such a warmth and a genuine heart to this film that a lot of Eddie Murphy's films didn't have up to that point and have tried to sort of recapture ever since, like Nutty Professor and stuff like that. But I don't think, considering his, you know, his alternative 
persona of, you know, his stand-up with Raw, with Delirious. He's talking about fucking everything that moves. And whereas this, it's, as you say, it's, it's a romantic comedy. It's, it's no, but it's a very heart. There's it's, a lot yeah. of heart there. And I think she does a great job, Lisa. There's, there's a few scenes in that I was like, you know, she could be wearing Kevlar. The size of her, I mean, retro ramble term, life preserver, is, um, it looks like she's wearing a body armor at one point. I'm just like, it's... it's I'm it's sorry, if it, if it comes down to costumes, it's, down, it's all about Daryl. Daryl has some amazing outfits in this. Well, before, I mean, well, let, even puts the Daryl African... and his family, um, and he's such a douche. I mean, D- Daryl gets the douche award in this episode. It's a definite douche. Um, he is the, the guy, he was the guy out of um, Die Hard. Dick Thornburg. When I'm saying it's the Dick Thornburg douche award, I think we have to oh, yeah. we have to present it for each film that we cover. Oh yeah, he's he's <laughs> he's so so hateable, and yes, he has the greasy mouth. And obviously, yeah, um, Eric Lasalle would go on to he was uh, you know made it big in ER. Um, he even cropped up in Logan. I think the most recently. Yeah. But that's it. No, I want to say a bit of respect. I think this has come up before, like when we talk about uh, Samuel L. Jackson in Loaded Weapon, that that, that they can do a comedy and they can prove, like we talked about this with Val Kimmer as well, that there's certain actors who haven't done anything in comedy, but once or twice they've gone over in a comedy and they've shown they've got the time. Nailed it. They've yeah. nailed it, and then they've gone back into. And I think it's a case of that. Yeah, I mean, but Daryl is very much just the straight man. He is obviously he's the villain of the piece. I oh, know, but he's such a douche. He's he's put yeah. it. Oh no, yeah. uh, actually, we've all known guys like that. Yeah, I'm sorry, buddy. I would have helped out, but I had my hands I had, were uh, holding coffee. Hands, <laughs> I, had, I had two cups of coffee. He's such a douche. Yeah, and legends. Well, I see, so, uh, Niall Rogers did say, and we talked about you know Niall Rogers uh, of on, you know it's, of Chic, uh, one of the greatest guitarists of all time behind Get Lucky. He's a man behind David Bowie's uh, Let's Dance, known for his iconic riffs. And even he said, I don't know, obviously tongue in cheek, that Soul Glow is one of his greatest achievements. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, that's literally, you know, 30 seconds of pure joy. Oh, no, but, but, I mean, but in, in fairness, it's a cracking soundtrack, isn't it? All the way through. And that was why I noticed that in the credits. And I noticed that... Uh, the even, back, it's even got in... a theme tune at the end, Charlie. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's all of that. But I, I don't know how to put this. I, I think in terms of a disclaimer, you know, we are doing this. We were children when we saw these films. And I think there's a, a lot that nostalgia has to answer for here. But when I see the 80s presented, even in this film, you know, which is showing a, you know, disgruntlement between classes. When I see it presented in this film, you do kind of think, oh, them were their days. You know, it's like, you, you could see it's, there's a lot of entrading places that even though there's all this yuppieism and it's like very up and down, you've got to work, you've got to earn to live type thing. The people in the film are kind of grabbing bits of happiness that they shouldn't have. You know, it's, there's a lot of that in coming to America as well. So I don't know, I think that's nostalgia speaking, but it, I, I, that's the warm feeling I get when I watch this film. It's not the story. It's kind of how it's presented. But no, but as you say, it's, I think there's a lot of 80s films that can be perceived as cynical. Like, yeah, um, Trading Places is very satirical. Yeah, capitalist. Uh, has, it's a satire has, on capitalism. Yeah. Whereas this, I think, yeah, it, it's, it's a fairy tale. It's, it has a lot of heart, but it's, it's so fucking funny at the end of the day as well. It's like, and I think a lot of that is 
is that fact that it's it's an Eddie Murphy thing that it's him flexing his power, his comedy muscles? Say you know that that stuff from Saturday Night Live saying, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to play multiple characters because it's my movie. And this is the first time he did it. And apparently he was, uh, Peter Sellers was a hero of his and Peter Sellers was renowned for doing multiple roles in films. And, and Eddie Murphy was like, I want to do that. And I think obviously it helps with some phenomenal prosthetics by Rick Baker. Rick Baker is one of the best guys in Hollywood. The Jewish guy, the Jewish guy. Most people don't realize that's well, Eddie Murphy. Well, that's it. When, when we were younger... And it comes up at the end with all the credits and it said Eddie Murphy. I was convinced when I was a kid that that was a typo. I was like, no, that's a joke. That's clearly not Eddie Murphy. That's some random dude. We didn't realize where makeup was back then. No, that's it. It's, I mean, no, but the thing is, you could recognize that he's the old barber. You could recognize he's Jackson Hyde. Randy Watson. <laughs> Randy Watson. <laughs> you could recognize that was him, but it was such a transform. And apparently I was reading that he, when he had the makeup done as the old Jewish guy as Saul, he would go uh, to other, walk onto other film sets and be like, I'm Eddie Murphy. And they were like, no, you're not. And he's like, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Rick Baker's one of the like, he's up there, you know, him and Stan Winston are the best uh, makeup effects in Hollywood. So everything, you know, obviously he did American Werewolf in London, but he's done like- Say yeah. no more. Yeah, he's, he's done everything. Like mo- most big Hollywood pictures, with it's involving, he's done Men in Black, he's done King Kong, he did Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah, what wow. else? He's uh, been there. What else? There's something else that came out. He's obviously did, he would go on to work with Eddie Murphy on Naughty Professor, The Clumps, and Norbit. And I think Norbit did win a, a special, uh, an Oscar for special effects or for makeup. Um, he's, he's done X Men. Oh, that was the thing, the one I was forgetting. Very is the guy behind Robert Downey Jr.'s Tropic Thunder makeup. Wow. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> so he's done it the so other way. He's, 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 yeah, I mean, the, the thing I want to say about this in terms of films for Eddie Murphy, in terms of romantic comedy, this has much more trading places about it than, say, Boomerang. Because I did when... And this shows where we were in our lives. I can remember watching, you know, Trading Places and stuff when we were about nine or ten. And then Boomerang, for me, was much later. What was this? This was a date movie with girlfriends and stuff. And it was purely played as that, but not as, not as funny, mm-hmm. not, as, not enough arse you know hall, not enough costumes. This was still riding the coattails of Trading Places type film. So you can see, you can see the drop. You can see that Trading Places was the peak. Yeah. And this was the, and then this was this, and then there were they. The, what was the other film you mentioned earlier? They did Just, Beverly Hills Cop Three. So you know, was, you, see, uh, yeah. you see what I'm saying? No, but I think that's it. They're like this, and I think that the reason it got ripped apart by by the critics is because yes, it's a very it's 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 a tale as old as time. As you say, you know the 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 prince and the pauper type thing. The the, the prince in pauper poor person's clothes, what have you. But it's the moments that makes it so fond to people. And the reason that we remember everything and keep going back is those little scenes of the barbershop, which is brilliant, of the Black Awareness Week with Randy Watson and the Reverend loving the Lord is wrong. That's our hope. Yeah, oh, thank God. <laughs> um, believe in the Lord. Lord. <laughs> when, he's that, when he's checking out that pageant, I mean, today, in today's world, it's so wrong. I don't want it. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> and that's it. There's so many moments that they just elevate it and they are it's a little bit i suppose you could say and you, you know obviously he would go on to do it in like note professor and the clumps it does become a little bit 
Saturday Night Live sketchy. Like, they don't have really any bearing on the story, but they're fucking brilliant. I'm sorry, I'm I'm swearing a lot in this episode, but, you know, it's just to reflect on my love for Eddie Murphy. Fuck you, Eddie. Fuck you, The funny man. The fuck you, man. We haven't touched on Muck Dowls. They've got the Golden Arches. Mine are the Golden Arches. What do you think happened here? Do you get the feeling that like McDonald's approached them for a sponsorship thing and then the conversation went sour and the company just went, fuck you. We are going to... I think that, that... I mean, why else? Well, no, think- I've, I've, I've got some trivia on this. So I... Good. like Because you and I talked about this uh, prior and I'm just, I just can't get my head around it. Like, why is it so vital to, to the plot? And you were like, oh, maybe it's a nephew, you know, from Eddie Murphy to McDonald's. But they had sign off from McDonald's head office to do it. And so what they did was they... Um, oh, so went- maybe it was McDonald's saying, you can do it, but just don't use our fucking name because no, no, it's no, film no. tanks. No, 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 they said, it said you can do it, you could do it as a parody. And so they took over an, an old Wendy's restaurant, a Wendy's uh, cha- uh, restaurant that was going through renovation. So they, they kitted it out in all this McDowell signage. But even though it had been signed off by McDonald's like head legal team, the manager of the nearest McDonald's like down the road saw it and turned up on the first day and was taking pictures like, you guys are going to be sued to fuck. You're going to hear from our lawyers and everything. And they were like, but we've got sign off all this. He's like, I don't care who you are. You, you're going to be sued for everything. So yeah, but apparently that Wendy's was, was there for years. I think it got demolished about five years ago or something like that. But yes, it was an actual, it wasn't a McDonald's restaurant. It was a Wendy's. But They did have McDonald's permission. Yes, I'm, they did. But no, but there's even the, the thing I never noticed until going through it. There's a moment when Leo McDowell, towards the end, he's looking through a McDonald's employee handbook and he gets uh. rumbled and, he, and it's like, sir, there's some people here to see you. And he's like, they're not from McDonald's, are they? And it's, and it's uh, Jaffe Jaffur. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's there's a there's a lovely tiny moment I've never noticed before that he's clearly like got he's got the rule book of I McDonald's. Didn't, I didn't notice it this time, but now you're talking about it, I have noticed that before. And that's not me just. I mean, this yeah. shows how much we've watched this film. Should we talk about James Earl Jones a little bit? Well, I was going to say, I just mentioned Jaffe Jaffur, and how have we not got to the dulcet sounds of James Earl Jones? I mean, every that man devours dialogue. I mean, but this is the thing about, for all you kids who think Morgan Freeman's old, you know, it's like before Morgan Freeman, there was James Earl Jones. And it's like, I think one of the happiest moments of the internet gaining in popularity and things like YouTube was when George and I discovered that someone had taken the scenes of Darth Vader in Star Wars and added King Jaffa Jaffa. Well, no, it's, it's basically, Charlie, I, I revisited uh, in preparation for this podcast. And it's- oh, you've every- got to check these out. These are amazing. It's everything that James Earl Jones has done. A lot of it is coming to America. There's but a lot of his black exploitation films. Yeah, with him is Darth Vader. It's brilliant. It's, it's genius. It's just like Lord Vader. It's like, I feel you've been inconvenienced. Shall we say <laughs> five million American dollars? <laughs> yes, it's, we'll, we'll put that on the blog. But yes, uh, James Earl Jones devours dialogue in this. And I kind of get the feeling he's a bit of a sex tourist when he's like, go, <laughs> go away, sow those royal oats, have fun. And he's like, no, dad, I want to I find prince. someone I can fall in love with. He's like, yes, yes, go find those women. 40 days, shall we say. And uh, yeah, both the parents, everything about it. One thing we didn't talk about in the beginning was uh, the opening scene. 
Well, all of she's the Zamunda a, stuff is, is she's brilliant. She's a queen to me. I, I forgot about that. Free, free of infection. <laughs> <laughs> At your discretion. So much, so much to unpack in that, George. We're going to have to do a separate podcast on the opening scene. Oh, the Zamunda oh, no, scenes. A, well, no, that's um, it. Again, I forgot how much detail there is in there. There's obviously, there's the the alarm clock, which is the, the choir. There's the, yeah. the wipers. There's obviously the bit everyone remembers with the royal penis. But this, there's even the gag that they that's used in Batman a, a year or so later with the massive table. So there's loads in there. All the choreographed dancing. And the you mean you mean the two-minute-long, completely unnecessary synchronized dancing? It's the era of MTV. That's when I saw that scene. I was just like choreographed dancing, big big scene like that. It's like this is for MTV. Well, I remember you and I revisiting it um, a few years ago when I lived in London, and you and I had had a few drinks, and I think I turned to you halfway through the dance and was like, "Well, this is going on forever." <laughs> I don't remember it being this long. And they're still dancing. Keep still dancing. dancing. Keep dancing. Um, He's the queen. But if that was uh, Charlie. There's some uh, some more trivia there. That was choreographed by none other than Paula Abdul, and oh, yeah. Paula it's Abdul got- was a former Laker girl at the time. Um, <laughs> uh, there, there's, there's Don't a you think they need to be taken down a peg or, or two? two? There's a reference for for uh, Bowfinger if you haven't seen. Hey, hey Laker girls, <laughs> don't laugh. Um, for you Bowfinger fans out there um, but yes it's very extravagant that whole Zamunda thing but yeah I, I can't get enough of uh, Jaffe Jaffur um, James Earl Jones his, his voice is just liquid caramel but the thing I, I didn't realise again there's some more trivia that uh, him and uh, the the lady that plays the, the queen Madge Sinclair would go on to obviously everyone knows James Earl Jones becomes you know what's he called um, Darth Vader no 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 <laughs> <laughs> the other, the other one, no, um, the lion. Simba, yeah. Simba, Mustafa, Simba, Mustafa. Yeah. but yeah. Mustafa's wife is yeah. is Madge Sinclair. So uh, the Queen of Zamunda also plays the Lion King's mum. So it's some very yeah. canny casting. And there's a bit where James Earl Jones obviously ha- he's wearing a lion in this. I'm like lion cape, lion king. See there's a the- link between this and Darth Vader. You know, it's like Luke, <laughs> Simba, and that the Simpsons did a great. No, no, but there, there is even there's um, again it's something I, I only find out just uh, it went past me by. But there's a bit where he turns up at McDowell's, and McDowell's like, oh yeah, Akeem, I'll I'll get a hold of him. And he's like, he goes, no, do not alert him to my presence. I shall deal with him myself. And that's yeah, it's very dark. And, and, and they've said that's intentionally a riff on uh, Vader's line for, no, leave them to me. I will no, deal but with I think them myself. You, you've t- you and I have talked about this before. I mean, this is why we do the podcast. This is the sort of conversation George and I would have because it's a sort of conversation. This is a conversation, yes. yes. We are having a good conversation. No, but I mean, this is the sort of thing, we spotted this before is what my point is. Yeah. When um, we watched this one young side, that's very vader very Vader, um, but yeah, it's it's full of um, so many like small performances. As I say, you know, you've got uh, cameo L Jackson in a, in a um, <laughs> cameo L Jackson. I think we have to uh, touch on the point that we did watch this off recording off TV, and again, I need to look up on YouTube, but <laughs> the TV edits of forget just, you, forget you, and it was this a flan? Doesn't he say flan? Oh, I don't know, but I think... Something like Mother Flan or... 
Yeah, I, I need to track down where they've they've got creative with the swearing. That and Die Hard. I think this and Die Hard were edited so much. And, 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 of and, Die Hard. And, oh, oh, you mean the other shared universe in this? Die so, Hard 2. So, um, so McDowell, McDowell's such a badass in Die Hard 2. You've got McDowell, I yeah. Can't the, lie, I kind of like you, McLean. Um, the amazing John Amos, um, who I, I think his physical comedy towards the end of this film, where he's just going <laughs> manic and really high pitched and running around, it's amazing. It's is, is brilliant. But the other Die Hard 2 connection is actually. The, I saw this. I don't know if he's the real uh, stepbrother or real life brother of Orsino Hall, but it's. Um, the guy that the that yeah, cross him at the, at the baseball game, you know, my prince. It's guy, I know it's the guy. It's the first guy in the baggage handler with Brucey. I spot yeah. that. So yeah, yeah obviously that. there is the shared universe of McDowell gets disgruntled and finds somebody to join his team, as well as <laughs> obviously the the other shared universe in this, which is an actual shared universe of the Duke and Duke brothers. Randolph. I'm still not talking to you. Yeah, oh, brilliant, yeah. But that was, you know, we always joke about the whole shared universe thing. That was one of the first times it's probably been done. I can't think of another. Where, and everyone was like, ah, oh, that's amazing. And, but apparently, uh, I'm probably jumping the gun. You know, there's, probably, there's probably been other jokes. There's obviously been yeah. jokes where films have referenced older films, but I'm not sure one film to another yeah. from the same director have done it in like that way. Well, apparently, I'm, I was saving this for... Apart um, from Bond. Sorry, apart from Bond. They link, they link their films together. But obviously, that's the same, same universe. This was obviously, yeah, two, two separate Two films. different characters. Yeah, you're right. Um, but I was saving this for Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, but I've got some others. But apparently... Uh, is, um, it not, is it not time for Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda? Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. So Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda is where George and I discuss actors who are considered for the role but weren't chosen in the end sometimes directors sometimes writers what do you got for me this well month? so to go back to the link we're obviously just chatting about the the duke and duke brothers turning up from trading places apparently they all almost uh tried to well they tried to get paul gleason better known as beaks Clarence beaks so yeah they tried to get paul gleason but he was busy uh doing a film called d hard Die hard. Oh my God, <laughs> Clarence speaks. So yeah, they they try to get him back to make it a um, a threesome of sorts. I mean, I don't know how he would have cropped up. So yes, uh, that was you know one could have would have should have. But um, in terms of the role of King Jaffe Jaffer, apparently Sidney Poitier was also considered. He was hot shit back then. Uh, and uh, Vanessa Williams was considered for the role of Lisa. Vanessa Williams is the very attractive... Uh, Girl out of Boomerang? No. No, uh, that she's, was uh, she's, she's, Robin, she's, Robin Hall. Yeah, uh, Vanessa Williams is the lead in Eraser, the, the girl that Arnie's trying to protect in Eraser. And protect. Pro- protect and Eraser. <laughs> Sorry, I had to fit in an Arnie impression in there. So yes, that's a, a very brief coulda, woulda, shoulda. Have you got any suspicious spin-offs? I've got what there's a, there is an official think, suspicious, suspicious. Well, no, no, no. I, th- I thought we. Well, I mean, we've covered a few films like this in the past, where you and I have been covering a film because we did this with Bad Boys. You know, like so. 
in the same way we dealt with Bad Boys, I'd, rather than give you a suspicious spin-off, I'm going to talk about what I'd like to see in the upcoming film. So I'd like to see, lo- I'd like to see him doing the multiple roles again, even if it's just once. I don't want it to be relied upon. I don't want it to be overused. Well, well according to IMDb, he's credited for coming to America too as Akeem slash Randy. So I'm very excited. That means we are going to get to see the return of Jackson Heights' own Mr. Randy Watts. Damn, that boy's good. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some amazing things to like that about. But what I'd like to see in the film, yeah, more of the Eddie Murphy we saw in Dolomite. And I'll see you no know, back. And I'd like to see more of him because his, we didn't get talk shows. We didn't have access. I mean, now we can watch whatever recorded talk show we want via YouTube. We didn't have that. Well, that, yeah, that's... So he completely passed us by. And I feel like I missed something now. I feel because you and I discovered in, in, loving, in Living Colour what, about five or ten years after it had actually been on TV? and we loved When we it. were in America, yeah. wasn't it? Or we were... Yeah, it was, but it was, it was still reruns then. Yeah. It was no, early 90s. Well, that's the, thing, the weird thing. Like, Arsino Hall, you look at his film career and he, and he didn't do a great deal. This is probably his, his biggest thing. But yeah, as you say, it was really bizarre um, when Charlie and I were doing our... I don't know if it was our prep for Universal Soldier. It might have even been afterwards, but I sent Charlie a clip of Van Damme on the Arsino Hall show. And he was hot shit. Like he, I think from like the late 80s to sort of mid 90s, he was one of the biggest talk show hosts in America. John Oliver. He had had loads of the, the stars on there. And yeah, he was. He obviously made a lot of money doing that. Um, but it's great to see he will be back for the sequel as well. And Wesley, I mean, when throw I when and, I throw saw, Wesley, no, but you, I think you must feel the same as me when you see when you saw uh, My Name Is Dolomite, and you're just like, yeah, it's via Netflix. But Wesley's doing something different. Eddie Murphy's back, and you kind of think, why the hell didn't these two make more films together? And the fact that they're doing another film together, I'm really happy about this. I'm like, this could be really good energy for the two of them. Well, as uh, we've probably said, you know, it's great to see funny Wesley. You know, it's great to see Eddie Murphy back on form. But it's great no, to see Wesley's fu- much better when he's funnier than trying to be taken seriously. Well, that's it. You know, as much as we love Blade, he doesn't. he's so stoic and monosyllabic, he doesn't get that chance to shine whereas Eddie Murphy, it's a good, it's a good uh, performance when you know what Wesley can do in terms yeah, of yeah, campness Wesley, Wesley can have that Eddie Murphy energy and so yeah, yeah it's great you know I'm looking forward to, to what we talked about bring. this in, uh, in Demolition Man that we love that side yes. of uh, yeah, it's probably one of his good, best good point. performances uh, when he's like let loose he's got let, it in him let Wesley loose yeah no so, was, yeah sorry that's a very vague Suspicious spin-offs, so like, but in terms of what I let's see, but we know everyone's going to feature. So let's talk about the the grand sort of um, plot points that are likely to happen. So what is is he, has he had kids? Yeah, I is think he it's, getting a divorce. Has he got a twin brother? Has she got an evil sister? Are they going on holiday? I mean, what are they doing? Like, let's, what are they, that's every, what let's, let's all go on holiday. Um, no, it's a is terrible it idea. Zum- is it in Zamunda? Is it going to uh, be like? I think I th- maybe there's going to be some of that. I think, yeah, you know, it's Crocodile it's gonna, Dundee too. I think, it's, I think it is going to be a oh, let's let's go back to Zamunda. <laughs> no, I think it is going to be a typical nostalgia r- r- like fest of okay, what worked in the first one, what can we touch on? But I hope it doesn't rely on that too much. That it comes up with something fresh, and you'd you would hope so after thirty. 33 years 32 years that it's you know they would should have something good up their sleeves 
But yeah, in terms of there's an official suspicious spinoff where they actually tried to spin it off as a TV series in 1989. So each week, Prince Hakeem would visit a country and have 40 minutes to find a wife. Charlie, unsurprisingly, it didn't get past the pilot stage. Um, And apparently it was absolutely terrible. But yeah, from my point of view, if we want spin-off stuff, I would happily watch uh, an entire series on the barbershop, guys. Um, yeah, that, that would work. We can, uh, and you can have, you can have different, that could be, it's, well, it's we, an we, SNL we, we sketch. Didn't. But if there was an SNL sketch and you had different celebrities coming in every week, it would become a big hit. Well, we didn't mention uh, the man in the chair, uh, Cooper Gooding Extra, I mean, Junior. Smile, doesn't say anything. Apparently he had more, more lines that were cut, but yeah. No, um, he crops up. But also, I would uh, happily invest my money in watching a fake documentary following uh, sexual chocolate on tour. Well, no, I've got a better idea. I'd like to see the, you know, the whole, the, that whole thing, the black awareness. I'd like to see a behind the scenes documentary of him about... having a breakdown. <laughs> no, no, just the whole show. So like you'd have the pageant, yeah. then you'd have the sexual chocolate, then you'd have the child drive. And you could have a show like a sort of Peter Kay's Phoenix Nights about what goes on in that town hall with him. <laughs> oh, no, definitely. Definitely. No, Randy think... Watson would feature a lot. <laughs> So well, who can I just say before we'll move on from Randy Watson, but when everyone, you know, you see it bounded about very trendy conversation to talk about mic drop. If you ever wanted the official imagery of a oh. mic drop and the exit that he does with his fingers, Jackson Heights own is the man. I remember a friend of mine at work, Lee and I used to just frequently watch the Randy Watson clip on YouTube so much so that another guy in the office was like, you guys are just constantly watching that. Surely it's not funny anymore. We're like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was just like, yeah, the whole hand movement of pointing to the crowd. And then getting the fuck out and then dropping the mic. Brilliant. Uh, right, okay, so I think it's time we gave a few shout-outs to our listeners and followers who've taken the time to get in touch. So, George, I've got a list of them here. I can't see. Am I going first with this James Brown? Yeah, so we've got James Brown or J, J, J Slim 55 on Instagram. He says, where are all the Randy Watson tribute acts? The world could really use some sexual chocolate right now. Can't agree with you more there, Jim. Can't agree with I'd you like more. To- I, I, I disagree. I think there is some sexual chocolate out there, but we just haven't discovered them. So the, the trick now is to, is to find somebody who re- represents them and stamps his feet when people don't applaud enough. Mm. So yeah, next shout out to uh, our friend Antonio Garcia Amonte. So he gave us the name of what this was in the Spanish title because George and I love those. Some, some Lost in translation. The, some of the foreign titles mean so much more. Uh, so yeah, it was El Principe. Prince, Principe de Zamunda, so yeah, just Prince de Zamunda. Didn't want to, the coming to America, I suppose, wouldn't really work. So yeah, one of his uh, funny films from the 80s, big fun, like where is, uh, there's some disastrous film, Pluto Nash. Yes. Do you know what that film could be? Yeah, Pluto Nash was a science fiction comedy, I think set on the moon. It was like high special it's effects. on the moon. <laughs> yeah, a high special effects budget. And it was, I think it was Eddie Murphy's biggest like flop of his career. Um, that was kind of the nail in the coffin around, I don't know if For that, that was, decade. I don't know if that was after Norbit, but yeah, it was pretty disastrous. 
so next up we have uh, another regular listener of the show, uh, Dennis, Dennis C.K. Pang, saying he was very excited about this. So hopefully we've done it justice, Dennis. But uh, he said it's definitely one of his faves growing up along with Weird Science. I mean, it's yeah, I think it's one of our favorite comedy films as well. I think uh, to, the fact we haven't really gone through the film beat by beat like we tend to do in a lot of our other episodes is because I think we're trying to show respect to this film and just like what it means rather than pick it apart because just watch the film, enjoy it. You know, this is just yeah. a celebration. But well, that moves us on to our friend uh, Casey Millwood also. Yeah, I heard a lot from, from Casey. Sexual chocolate was robbed. I mean, damn, that boy's good. He's just not getting enough respect. Mm-hmm. Good and terrible. How much we're obviously going to see a lot more of him based on you know, you were saying how much you watched the memes of Randy Watson. I think one of the reasons he's going to feature more in the sequel is because he's he's so celebrated, time, yeah, the test of time for sure. So celebrated. Um, it it really doesn't do justice, but Jeremy just speaks a thousand words, yeah. Jeremy uh, Grinrich. Uh, got in touch with us and he's obviously a big fan because he sent in a picture of his Halloween outfit as Joffy Jaffer and it's pretty damn impressive so good work usage I hope that survived Halloween I mean yeah we, uh, we we applaud you that's some, that's some good effort there and then uh, Andy McEwen obviously uh, giving a shout out to the guys in the barbershop just like us um, them talking about boxing hilarious Joey Lewis Cassis Clay mama call him Cassis Clay I'm going to call him Cassis Clay I mean it's <laughs> yes, yes I mean my, my daughter Dr. King. Yeah, I mean, I think just goes to show this film broke boundaries and this was, as we say, MTV was big and you got all the choreographed things, but movies were in their heyday. Looking back from where we are now in 2020, this was a golden era of cinema and um, we were kind of spoiled, you know, with the, we got these got on, got on film TV, but I think this film stands at the test of time. Anything else you want to talk about, George? No, no. I mean, yeah, just, just to echo those points that, you know, it's, it's amazing that a, a film can resonate with so many people. It's it's a cracking comedy. I think I would argue that it's it's Eddie Murphy's best. I mean, I know I think it's his best work. I was going to say that before yeah. when we were talking about the accents and everything else. I think this is his best acting job. I mean, you know, obviously, because it, it is. You know, it is the Eddie Murphy show. You know, it is. You could say it's a little. He's doing bit, comedy all over the place, just not in the central character. So. You, could, you could say the the multiple characters are a little bit self indulgent if we want to be critical, but they're so much fun. It's Eddie Murphy. It's Eddie Murphy, <laughs> and Trading Places is is a two hander. If not, you know, more people involved. So you got Jamie Lee Curtis and Dan Aykroyd and, and Dan Amelia all doing, yeah. and, and 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 the guys who pop up in this film. Yeah, uh, the um, Duke. And Parents. I think it's between this and and Beverly Hills Cop, but yeah, for me, I think this is so much fun. It's so feel good. Yeah, I watched it the other night. Yeah, it's probably been a, a, a maybe a year or two since I last saw it, and I was still laughing my, my head off. As Charlie says, you know, we haven't gone ripped apart the plot and gone into it bit by bit. Hopefully, we haven't uh, annoyed you with our, our bad. We don't feel we need to. We don't. Well, I mean, the no. bad impressions are part part and parcel of the show. But um, yeah, I don't. I think this film deserves more as a general discussion about the film rather than oh, yeah. let's. What about the middle bit? What and, about the plot? What about the choreography? <laughs> uh, and what we'll do, I think Charlie and I will probably do a little mini episode on the sequel and share our thoughts with it when it goes uh, comes out in March. Because I'm sure if you've enjoyed listening to this, you might want to hear our thoughts on the, the new one. Does it, you know, how it holds up? 
Excellent. Uh, anything else to mention? I mean, you can find uh, well, us at... It's, uh, it's Christmas, Theo, so I think we need to wish all our listeners a Merry Christmas. If this hasn't filled your Christmas boots, obviously, we've got other Christmas episodes out there. We've got Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, Gremlins. Um, so there are other Christmas films to, to fill your boots that, that we've covered. Um, obviously, there's plenty of Christmas podcasts out there. Uh, no, it's been it's been fun, and as I say, I, I, all I can say is when I went to watch this film, like, we we know that we have to get these things recorded. We both have other things to do, and it's like, okay, when am I going to watch this? I watched this film over a week ago, like way before we needed to cover it. And when I watched it, I was just like, I almost got blasé. I was like, yep. And then he says this, and then he mm. says this, and then they do that, and then it's just it's like, I didn't need to watch it again, but I really enjoyed watching it again, which says enough, hopefully. Um, you can so get us on all the usual channels. Yes, we're on. We're all podcasting platforms. We're on, you know, Spotify. We're on Acast. We're on. Uh, Where did you find this episode, by the way? <laughs> yeah, well, wherever. You know. I mean, they're listening. So, um, so yes, uh, we're, you know, t- tell your friends. You know, thank you for the support as always. Uh, if you can uh, leave us a share, give us a share, leave us a review on iTunes. That that helps out. And yes, thanks for, for all the support and comments. Keep them coming in. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. They're our main sort of channels. We um, are everywhere. We, well, we're not everywhere, but we try <laughs> No, to. we have people everywhere. We, we can be like um, Spectre. We have people everywhere. Um, yeah, obviously, it's been a, a tough year for a lot of people. It's been a weird year. Um, hopefully, our audio hasn't been too bad. Uh, you know, we're just going to keep doing these, unfortunately, I'm afraid. But uh, yes, coming up in the new we'll year. We'll have some, li- ho- hopefully, some live recordings to share with you soon. Yes. Well, the, the schedule's always changing, but uh, we've got some exciting stuff potentially in the pipeline. So, uh, yes, I've been George McGee. I've been Charlie McGee. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We'll see you, or you can hear us in 2021. Happy Christmas. to compensate you. Shall we say one million American dollars? Very well then, two million. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. Anyone who throws roses at my son's feet will answer to me. Holding her is dangerous. Word of this gets out. It could generate sympathy for the rebellion in the Senate. You told him my son was here. Where is your daughter? I must speak to her at once. She'll die before she'll tell you anything. I know you have been inconvenienced, and I'm prepared to compensate you. Shall we say one million Americans? Aha! station plans are not aboard this ship. And? No transmissions were made. And? Her escape pod was jettisoned during the fight. And? No life forms were aboard. So that's it. You've grown a mustache. I am more than the exalted ruler of this land and the master of all I survey. I'm also a concerned dad.